Happy holidays, everyone. I just wanted to let you know that we will not be putting an episode up next week so that everybody can enjoy their holidays. But we will be back, as usual, on January 6th. And I also wanted to remind you that we also now have a YouTube channel called Hiking Through, where all episodes, starting with the last one, are posted. The biggest factor was trying to keep my feet as dry as humanly possible. Uh, that was that was like for the first three months. That was really the biggest concern. Once I got my trail legs under me and I was able to, you know, push out some pretty good miles, I was only worried about trying to keep my feet dry, so that at least the next day I could put on dry socks to start the day, because they were they were the biggest thing that was really really slowing me down and like trying once I get to a certain point like you. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I get to pull up a seat at the campfire and have a conversation about all things through hiking, the triumphs and challenges, and oh, those lessons learned. And today's guest is Kickstand, known off-trail as Mike Papadados. He needed something to shake up his life, so of course he decided to do a through-hike, but not just any through-hike, a calendar year triple crown. On January 31st, 2018, he started at Springer Mountain, and the rest, as they say, is history. In this episode, we talk about those that came before, the planning and logistics, struggles with feeling like a failure, finally finishing a trail, and a few breaking bad moments in New Mexico. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, as well as on our new YouTube channel, Hiking Through. You can also find us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Kickstand. So, welcome, Mike, to the podcast. And congratulations on your amazing amazing <laughs> accomplishment <laughs> with your calendar year triple crown yeah i mean it feels like a long time ago now but i mean the way that 2020 has gone it feels like ages ago but i guess it was only in 2018 so around the corner that's it i know <laughs> well the last year flew by and then this year it's it feels like it's been the slowest year and also the fastest year of my life which is i'm sure everyone is also feeling yeah. Um, but I feel like yesterday was summer and now it's already, you know, Christmas is 20 days away. So I'm just, I'm lost in the spin cycle like everyone else is here. 100%. 100%. But I have a feeling that, that the speed of time was also something that you were feeling out on the trail because you had such a, a limited window to get the job done in. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, I think just from the beginning, that was the biggest concern. I mean, I think, uh, from the, from the time I first started doing research on what a calendar year triple crown was, and then the people who had achieved it, it was always going to be, first of all, logistically, which way do you attack it? 
Do you start with the PCT, CDT, and then SOBO, the AT late? Or do you start as early as you can with the AT, try and do that in the winter or as far as you can, and then either NOBO the PCT and then SOBO the CDT? Um, but logistically, it was that was always like literally down to the day uh, that I, I started mapping out from the beginning kind of uh, how many days that I would have to get it done. Cause really like 270 days is like the most that you have in the year without it being like a exponentially more dangerous based on snowpack in the Rocky mountains or B going through the Sierra, probably the earliest people alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you really like kind of have to time it or get super, super lucky with, snow which i did not at all throughout the course <laughs> of the year <laughs> so which precipitated obviously the jumping around to try and get it done but um yeah time was time was a huge factor uh in my mind every single day basically every waking moment of the day <laughs> yeah i mean it was almost like for most days anyway that clock ticking in the back of your brain well exactly i mean i I I knew that. So before I left too, I knew that I was going to take a week off beforehand in the middle of summer because I had made a previous commitment to go home to be uh, in one of my oldest friend's wedding party. And I was, you know, I was trying to do everything that I could to still make that a realistic possibility by the time that midsummer came around. Um, And I mean, luckily I was able to do it, but yeah, no, it was always in the back of my mind. What what pushed you to even think about a calendar year triple crown? I mean, I, I know that you had done some Ironman like 70.3s or something like that previously, but mm-hmm. a calendar year triple crown is ambitious. Yeah, um, I think having hindsight now, I didn't really understand it when I was going through it or even like shortly after finishing. But I think now that I've had some time to look back and reflect on some of the reasons that probably made me try and do something that I thought was probably unrealistic to actually achieve were a lot deeper in like in my actual life than just like, oh, I want to go achieve this cool thing because you know this obscure thing it was it, it i think that it was more about a, um and i think a lot of through hikers will probably have the same same sentiment it's like um trying to come up with something that you don't know if it's possible but you you want to push yourself to a point that you've obviously never been before to kind of see how you're going to react to a situation. And for me, I, I mean, if we, if you want to start from the very beginning where I think it probably should start from is, you know, I think I, I quit on a lot of things in my life. Um, and it wasn't anything major, but again, having hindsight now, it probably led me down a path that, wasn't my own in a way um uh, as far as the decisions that got me to a certain place that i was in my life before 
um, deciding to, I guess you could say it in the cheesiest way possible, take your life into your own hands. Um, but I think that, um, how do you say this? I was at a kind of at a point in my life where you do a double take and you're like, hold on a second. Like what, what's going on here? How did I end up here? And, you know, I was, I was not happy. Um, it was, it was pure on coast mode for me. Um, and I wouldn't say that I would checked out, but I also say that I wasn't actively participating in, in shaping a life that I wanted because like a lot of people, I think that it's so tough unless you fall in love with something from a young age and you know exactly what you want to do and you have a purpose and a drive, like, you know, you want to be a, you know, structural engineer and you go down all the paths to, to allow you to do that. I think that I was kind of a bit of a jack of all trades and that led me to waffling on things that maybe if I had put in a little bit more effort, I could have seen them through. Um, so I guess I like got to a point in my life where I wanted to take control over the future of my life. And I just wasn't sure how to do that. If that sounds yeah, like, if that makes any sense at all. 100%. Um, yeah. And I think that I stumbled on like this super obscure thing and I just got so uh, like overwhelmingly excited about something that I had never even contemplated before. And I just like, I dove right in. I read all of the stuff from Swami, who's Cam Honan, who was one of the first people to do the calendar triple crown. Obviously Flying Brian was the first one to do it, but Cam, as most of the hiking community knows, uh, I mean, he's just like an absolute beast uh, on, on all trails. And he has one of the best websites out there for resources and super descriptive trail journals. And so I got, I'd always been like into the outdoors, but then I found his website and I started reading his trip reports about hikes that he had done. And then I saw he wrote this book called uh, the 12 long walks, which is where he spent like 18 months in North America, basically completing all of the long distance hiking trails finished off with a calendar year, triple crown, which was the ATPCT and CDT as kind of the pays the resistance on the end of what I think was something like 12 or 13,000 miles in 18 wow. months. Jeez. And I was like, I, I, I I don't know. It's a tough feeling to describe. Uh, I was, I, I got, like I said, like so excited about something. I was like, I have no idea why I'm so excited about this, but, uh, and then from there, I, uh, I read, I started reading, uh, legends, the free outsides. He, he had just done it in 2016. And I started reading his trail journals, uh, from his calendar year, triple crown. And he, like literally wrote these in-depth articles on a day-by-day -day basis about, you know, I mean, I guess he started for different reasons than me. He was, you know, struggling with mental health, but um, it was kind of the same sentiment that I felt like I was going through. I wouldn't say that I was depressed, but I also say that I wasn't in a place where I was, I was happy in any way, shape or form. Um, so I think I kind of, like it was more like, I think the thought developed as a way to, to really test myself and to just to see what I'm worth. Like if I didn't actually quit on something, what was possible? 
I, I, again, I, it's, it's always going to come out cheesy, but like I said, like having had a lot of time to think about it now, I, <laughs> I think that I'm able to like contextualize it a little better than before when people ask me like, what the hell do you think you're doing? Like, why would you do that? Like, well, I don't know. Like, why wouldn't I? I'm like, well, now I kind of have like a little bit more of a sense of maybe why I did. Obviously, like it could have been anything. I just chose this crazy thing to do. But yeah. I, I completely relate. I mean, that is honestly one of the reasons that I wanted to do the PCT this year and that I will do the PCT when money comes back and life gets a little bit more back to normal again. Mm -hmm. um, but in doing that, I realized, like you were saying, that a lot of times the path of least resistance is so easy. It's so convenient. Um, and you almost don't know that you're following it until you stop and feel the weight of it pushing against you and saying, oh, wait a second. I could be doing something different. I could be doing something more. Mm -hmm. um, I could challenge myself if I only make a little bit different decision right now. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny that you say that. Like I always talk about with my dad, I'm like, you know, it's never one decision. It's, it's like a series of decisions. I think that you make and whether it's conscious or unconscious, you get to a certain place and you're like, well, how the hell did I get here? And you're like, Oh, well it's because of this and then this and then this. And yeah. like you said, I think a lot of people, um, similar to me i think just get lost in the in the how crazy the world is just just make split decisions and you don't even understand the like the consequences or the long-term repercussions of them and then like a year later you're like scratching your head being like what the hell is going on here again <laughs> i don't know i don't know if other people feel like that that's that's how i feel sometimes so no absolutely and i think the older you get the harder it is to stop and change direction because there's so much more pressure and responsibility and um, yeah, I mean, just there's so much more force pushing you in the same direction. Um, oh, for point. sure. Like, I mean, I think I was in a, I was in a bad relationship before, which didn't end well. And then, uh, you know, I was at a, at a decent place in work, but again, I wasn't driven or I wasn't passionate about the work. And um, I think I looked around and I was like, well, if I'm going to potentially take a year off, I think this is the most opportune time to do it. Like, I don't have a wife. I don't have a kid. I don't own a house with a mortgage. So like I, my the things tethering me to my day to day life are so much fewer than they could be if I choose to maybe do this in five years or whenever down the road, which is why I think you see on trail, like, you know, early twenties, your early twenties and then like people in their fifties a lot. Right. Yep. Cause like the, those day-to-day -day things that you, know, you make those commitments that you can't just walk away from. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. How did doing the research that you did, how did you decide to start or why did you decide to start on the AT at the end of January, basically? Um, um, so like I said, I think the two for any, for, for anyone who's potentially thinking about doing it, I really think there are 
are only two ways that you can do it um or two ways that you can at least logistically from the start try and plan to do it obviously plans change there are things like trail closures fires huge snowpack years especially in the southern colorado and the sierra so those are going to play a limiting factor so in my year the year before i did it 2017 was a notoriously bad snow year in the pct yep um so i knew generally speaking you don't get back to back years in the on the PCT that have heavy snowpack years, it's either like one, 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 you know, um, back and forth. So I said, there was hard snowpack last year. I think that my best chances to potentially get it done are to at least start on the Appalachian trail and try and get as far North as I could. Obviously my intentions when I started were to finish it from start to finish without having to jump between the trails but it was a late snow year, the year that I did it, um, especially in as soon as I got to New England, basically, I realized that it might have been. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Are you I mean, about that one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, that's that's on the border of Massachusetts and Vermont. I mean, and I don't know if you've ever spent any time on the East Coast. Not much. Um you know, even when people say like, yeah, there's a road crossing on the Appalachian Trail every, you know, eight miles and, you know, it's not a true wilderness area. Well, if you've ever been up, you know, Stratton Mountain in the middle of March uh, in the back country, there's, there's A, the only people that could potentially find you if something happens are snowmobilers. And B, it's not as if snowmobile tracks run directly through the Appalachian Trail. Like it's, there are sections of it where you won't see a footprint or a snowmobile track for, for forever. Like yeah. it's just, if see like an endless sea of, you know, ocean of snow. So, um, I thought that I was going to be able to, um, have the best chance of potentially getting it done by starting on the AT based on not having, I don't think enough experience at the time to just start the CDT and, I don't know anyone, I don't think there has been anyone who's successfully done it that started on the CVT either, because just the nature of the weather windows, it's really about beating the snow in Colorado on the way back home, I guess. Most of the yeah. people who have done it successfully have always soboed the CDT at the very end. I mean, again, I, I'm not... I don't think there's a, a manual to this thing. It's so Not it's so so weather dependent, and you really do have to get super super lucky. I think to do it in a contiguous line on each trail without having to to split it up. Yeah. I think I mean, brought like flying Brian, the first guy to do it, jumped around, and Cam, uh, Swami, and Free Outside both did it contiguously. I think again but cam honan has like 50,000 backpacking miles uh, and uh for me as first starting like i was i was still learning like i had never spent a significant amount of time winter camping like i i was literally dialing in my kit on a day-to-day -day basis um especially for the first like 1000 miles like i was I, I don't want to say like a novice because I had like, you know, I had done a ton of backpacking trips in my neck of the woods, but I was also nervous about going into the Sierras where it's, you know, significant altitude. 
search and rescue could, you know, that type of thing, like, you know, the Sierra being a huge wilderness area, whereas at least on the AT, the Southern Appalachian Trail, like you are close to towns. Um, Generally speaking, you aren't too, too far uh, removed from civilization. Um, So trying to give myself a buffer, I guess, was biggest concern either i mean trying to convince the parents of that was harder than i thought it was going to be <laughs> what <laughs> so was like, that conversation like uh the first one was like shock and all like i don't understand what you said to me was that chinese like what you're you're trying to do what and and then you know i i showed them some of the research and i you know broke down kind of what i was thinking about doing and then i think it was muted excitement but it wasn't like hoorah at the beginning i think they were genuinely scared um yeah but uh as i kind of broke it down for them and i had shown like a bit of the research component of it you know i had built my schedule for the first 100 days basically you know i (laughs) i'd literally deconstructed AWOL's Appalachian Trail Guide on like a mile by mile basis about potential camp spots and so on and so forth. So I think they were like, at least they knew that I was prepared or as prepared as I could be books wise before actually getting out there. How long was it? I mean, like, how long did you give yourself to convince them that, that, that you knew what you were going to be doing and that there that it was a good thing you were doing this as opposed to the oh my god what are you doing child you can never leave this house again yeah well i mean i was uh i mean i was living on my own for four years beforehand uh you know and i was at that time i'm 31 now so i was 28 so i didn't really have to they didn't really have to give me True. their permission but i also wanted them to not have a sleepless year so mm-hmm. i did what i could you know i i gave my mom the 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 spot device they said look i'll i will get a spot device so that i will ping you so you know that i'm not dying um but you know it, modern technology is it's not it's not as if i was like i said like disappearing for a year it is it is uh you know cell phone coverage in the states is pretty good especially on the east coast yeah. but i mean there was a couple of discussions that was it, it it probably took about a month for me to convince okay. them that I knew what I was talking about. You know, a couple of different discussions. The first one being about five minutes where it was just a walk off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, well, uh, that's the end of this conversation. We'll see you next week for family dinner. I was like, all right, <laughs> I'll, I'll get some research together for you, but I'm leaving on January 28th, whether you like it or not. So, yeah, <laughs> but it's always easier when their support versus when you're fighting that resistance as well as the stuff that the trail is going to throw at you, which it threw a lot of stuff at you. Oh, I mean, they, they were the biggest, they were the biggest cheerleaders I had in the whole year. They were, they were incredible. I mean, my mom and my dad came down to meet me for three days um, while I was uh, in between basically upstate New York and the New Jersey border. Um, they were they were the biggest cheerleaders I had all year, no doubt. Did they meet you anywhere else along the trail? They did not. No. Um, they uh, yeah, it was just those just those three days. 
um, they came. Uh, they were going to see my sister who lives in New York. Um, and uh, my mom, the one of the days on the New Jersey boardwalk, actually, my mom, she claims her still claim to fame is, you know, I walked six miles on the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> Look at me now. Uh, but yeah, no, that was, I mean, aside from obviously the hundreds of phone calls, probably um, that was that was the only time that I uh, that they came down to see me. Got it. When you started on Springer Mountain, yeah, and on January thirty first, no less, yeah, and it's cold and there's snow and it all of the things. What was the first realization you had as you started hiking? It's you know, it's so tough because like I mean, I hiked to Springer. Obviously, I was the only person in the shelter before I started. Um, and then I woke up super early, went to the rock, you know, signed the register. Um, and then I guess it was a bit of a, not, I wouldn't say emotional, but I was a little bit overcome with emotion, just being like, holy shit, like this is, here we are. Like now you got to start walking all the, all the thinking about it is, is done. You have your planning done. So time to go. And going back to, going back to, um, uh, Jeff's blog, the free outside. Like, I think that I I based the first like week off of it's like I was really nervous for the first week because I'd been doing like a lot of exercises to get my body ready, like strengthening my hips, my calves, feet, everything. But there's there's nothing really that will get you like the first week on trail. Mm-hmm. I think that every person who's ever done at least a week long hike before their body adjusts to the beating that it takes um that's what I was probably most scared about on day one I was just like I don't want to get injured I don't want to cut this thing short uh but I also know that I don't really have the luxury of time to to ease into it you know most people do Georgia between seven and eight days and I was out in under three so I'm like I don't really have the the luxury and that was that was kind of like the the most of the time that was the the stress and the the anxiety was it was just falling falling behind really and if you start and you give yourself a break i was always like i i can't give myself a break because like i'll probably need the time later in the year um so if i like you know i'm easy on myself and i don't want to hike for 3 hours with the headlamp either in the morning or at night like you ne- I was never going to make it happen was, was really like the, the thought when I was leaving Springer, I'm like, you, you're committed now. So let's, let's go for it. But you do make comments on, on your Instagram feed about pushing too hard too early. Oh, for sure. Like I hundred, I hundred percent did. Like top of top of Georgia hostel. I remember like I, the, the end of the third day, I like hobbled in there. I was in, really really bad shape my like knee was completely blown up um and georgia like i mean i think for most people like like the at obviously more than more than other trails because they're graded for pack animals the at is super super steep um and i think that just uh i had been doing a lot of stuff on the treadmill and like the stair climber but you can't simulate the downs more than anything um, I don't live in a super like hilly area, so I couldn't like 
you know, climb to the top of a peak and bomb a descent to get my knees ready for it. I think most of the stuff I was doing was just to strengthen mostly my like calves and my hamstrings. But I think the downs are some of the hardest parts uh, for me anyway. I, I don't, I don't know about anyone else, but um, yeah, the downs uh, really got me there in the first couple of days. Um, so I tapered back a little bit. Um, and then obviously as any goal goes, you set realistic expectations for what you think the next day will bring and then the next day and then you start feeling good again but um yeah when i when i passed bly gap i guess yeah bly gap when you get into north carolina it's like oh, man you i don't know how this is gonna go <laughs> really i was like shocked at how bad my knee how how sore it was um but a little bit of vitamin i to start the to start the the long year <laughs> how did you i mean obviously there is the first getting on trail discomfort and pain and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. but over the course of doing seven thousand plus miles that pain in different forms is going to come back over and over again and, and i saw it on your your post you know oh that just destroyed me yesterday um you know or having your feet so wet because there was a lot of snow, a lot of the places, you know, your feet were cracking um, and painful and that kind of stuff. How, how did you do it? How did you talk to yourself? You know, when you camp that night and you're like, Oh my God, I I'm wrecked, but I got to get up the next morning and keep going. Yeah, uh, that's one of the hardest. I mean, for me, that's one of the hardest things, you know, whereas, you know, you'd see most people, you know, if you had a hard day, you're like, I'm, I'm sleeping in tomorrow, we're going to get an easy one in, I'll take a break. Um, and then we'll get back after it the next day or take an extra zero in town or do whatever you can as far as TLC, get to camp two hours early, stretch, roll your legs out put Vaseline on your feet, whatever it is to, to try and try and help. Uh, I think for me, I mean, the, the good thing uh, was that the injuries tended to, you know, go around my body as opposed to be like acute pain that would, you know, last for a couple of days. So it would either be like my right hip would hurt one day and then my left calf and then my right <laughs> knee and then my right foot. At least it wasn't all at one time. Right. Uh, which made it worse. Obviously, I think like the biggest, the biggest factor was trying to keep my feet as dry as humanly possible. Uh, that was that was like for the first three months. That was really the biggest concern. Once I got my trail legs under me and I was able to, you know, push out some pretty good miles, I was only worried about trying to keep my feet dry. So that at least the next day I could put on dry socks to start the day, um, because they were they were the biggest thing that was really really slowing me down. Um, and like trying once I get to a certain point, like you, uh, it's tough to explain. Like once you have a crack on your foot that's like super big, it doesn't just heal. Like it's especially if you're walking on it right like you can pack as much vaseline as you want into it it's not going to heal uh, especially when it's continually getting wet so like that was the biggest thing ever so it was just like packing an extra two pairs of socks was key 
um, and like making sure that my sleep socks were dry um, was, was of like the utmost concern to me. Like when I would get in camp, I would just, you know, towel everything off, get them dry. And then like literally coat the bottoms of my feet in Vaseline and put socks on. Really? So, yeah, I mean, I honestly have a picture of one of your, one of your beautiful cracked feet pictures. (laughs) And I just looked at it and I was just like, Oh Jesus. Yeah, I know. And that, it's uh it's shocking to I mean to look at it now it's like it's pretty gross. Yeah. That's All a things good considered. Word for it. <laughs> yeah. But basically the only thing you could really do for it is just sort of slather it in Vaseline or or some sort of moisturizer and hope that it would Yeah. Do. Yeah, like I had a there's like a product Vermont Bag Bomb. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Like what they use for for cow udders. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but I, I got on that pretty early and that seemed to be as far as like stopping the cracks from spreading at least uh mm-hmm. helped. Um and like kind of creates a waterproof barrier. But I mean I uh, whether it's naively or not, I just like decided to hike in shoes, obviously, as opposed to boots or you know, waterproof Gore-Tex, super lightweight boot. I just I just couldn't be bothered. Um, once I got used to walking in trail shoes, I was like, this is incredible. I don't know why anyone has ever worn a boot before in their entire life. Um, and I just couldn't bring myself to change into something that was a heavier or B wouldn't dry, excuse me, dry out overnight. I mean, that that's the biggest thing ever. Even, you know, I could sleep with my shoes at the bottom of my sleeping bag. Uh, but at least they would get like semi-warm overnight. Like if you had leather boots and you kept them out in the tent, that was, you know, 31 degrees overnight, like nothing's drying out. Yeah. At least the shoes would get semi, semi-dry. Well, and I also have heard stories when hiking and the shoes getting wet in those those uh, colder conditions where the shoes freeze. And yeah, all the you're time. you're basically a block of ice trying to, you know, hammer your foot into it just to get yeah. it you know warm enough to move it yeah no that i mean in pennsylvania that was a big concern like I'm, i was i had a, hit a horrible cold snap and i no matter what i could do my i couldn't keep the, the shoes from not freezing overnight so i had just had to get the pocket rocket out in the morning and just do the hover <laughs> just do the hover for about five minutes just to get my feet into them you've just created a new move the hover. that's it that's it <laughs> <laughs> and I guarantee you people who have who have hiked in wet conditions or winter hiking I've done that move since they've had since, since they've been able to carry just stoves like that it's it's a yeah. good one but the snow didn't seem to be something that I mean it was frustrating I'm sure and obviously it caused you to change your plans a little bit when it as per the previous picture um but this, the snow didn't seem to be something that was, quote unquote, breaking you. Like the, the note that you have, in, again, in your, in your kind of your diary is the rain, you know, making, essentially causing, was it, was it rain coming down your face or was it crying? I mean, <laughs> You're a little unclear. Uh, again, I think anyone who's, who's spent a significant of time, like when you're wet, it can be really, really miserable just like windy and rainy and when you pitch your tent and still nothing can dry out it's a problem like in the at sure it rains a lot but everyone hikes it in the summer so your stuff's going to dry out because the humidity it'll bake off during the day you can sit for lunch dry your tent out for an hour 
and Bob's your uncle. You have a you have a dry tent by the time you go to sleep at night. The problem is, is like I wouldn't have dry stuff until I went into town. I would have to put it through two cycles of a dryer, and then it would only have it for like a day and a half, where stuff would be dry before I would all have saturated socks again, and my tent would be soaking wet. So that was more of like the the frustration was is just like when you leave town and you get like your clothes are warm and yeah <laughs> like the nice yeah. feeling of being like in a blanket you're like oh my god this is amazing it's so dry and then going back out there and you're like well again it's like precipitated by the fact that i wasn't i couldn't take days off mm-hmm. like okay there's a storm in the forecast okay well remember when you're not allowed to take a day off like <laughs> i just I kept myself exactly I kept myself to such a strict schedule that it was I, I didn't have the ability to um to just decide when it when and you know when I was gonna hike you couldn't decide that you just weren't feeling it that day exactly <laughs> I mean so many you know that's what I'm saying and I think that's a that's one of the things I think that I probably missed out on the most uh during these three hikes is like I think a lot of the you know, the, the best stories people have, at least in the three hiking community that I've seen are like, you know, we I took an extra day and we met this guy and we had this amazing experience. And yeah. I think I'll, I missed out on a lot, a lot of those opportunities because I just, you know, I just had was so single-mindedly focused, um, but no regrets. Did you have the opportunity to hike with anybody for any, any period of time even? I hiked the last, uh, the last 1300 miles of the PCT with a guy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I hiked uh, with a guy named Augustine. Uh, we hiked basically from Dunsmuir to the border and whether (laughs) him, he was like, he was like kind of over it and he just wanted, he wanted to finish obviously and he didn't want to quit, but he also wasn't like having the best time, Mm -hmm. but um he he was doing you know huge miles as well and we just you know for we had overlapped a couple of days and then um we just started hiking together and he was just seemed to be hiking on the same schedule and pace as me and he was super down to do like big miles and like you know whether it's the social experiment that he wasn't a huge fan of i guess i think he also just like loved being um in nature without having like, you know, when you get to town and spend two days there and do whatever you want. I think that he was really into that too. So we hiked, yeah, like the last 1400 miles of the PCD together. How was that experience compared to all of the solo hiking that you did? I, I mean, I loved it. We had a, we had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> um, like the last 40 days of the PCT was like some of obviously scenic wise, it's like some of the best you're ever going to get in the entire country. Uh, but um, it was, it was so fun being able to hike with another guy, especially because I didn't have to a slow down my pace and I didn't have to compromise what I was doing just to have like the camaraderie. Like he was mm-hmm. super down to have, like I said, like do big miles and, you know, walk late into the night and get up, get up early and, you know, not spend too much time in town. So it just seemed to work out perfect. What's your favorite story or favorite uh, time from that part of the hike? <laughs> um, I think that 
uh, when we got to Stahican. So me and him, I'm from Canada, obviously, and he was from South Carolina. Um, but he had been to, his sister lives in, um, there's a small group of islands outside of Seattle in between Vancouver and... The San Juan Islands? Uh, San Juan Islands, that's right. Um, and his sister uh, lived out there. Um, and when he went out there, all they drank was Labatt Blue for... Uh, I think like the whole week that he was there. So we we would always talk about, oh my god, I can't wait, I can't wait till uh, we get a Labatt Blue. I'm gonna get some for the border. It's gonna be amazing. And without knowing, he had texted his girlfriend who also lived in South Carolina to to send us a package to Stahican, and unlo- unknowingly grabbed the package from the post office there, and uh, there was two two Labatt Blues in the in this in the thing and i was just blown away i couldn't believe that he got his girlfriend to send this blues to probably the rem- most remote place in washington so it was yeah. uh that was that was a pretty good one how was it hitting each of those monuments like as i know on on the at and the pct you essentially went nobo at the end of the day yeah. not necessarily contiguously on the at but you went yeah. nobo so you went from the, the southern terminus, Springer Mountain, up to the northern or Katahdin. Uh, you know, so you you did that, you touched the the monuments, marked those off, and then had to, to come across and, and complete this the CDT, which was a different experience because you were gonna basically complete it sort of in the middle in the of middle. the trail. Yeah. Yeah. Um so it was for me it was really stressful actually because i looked at because of the way that i did it so i did obviously like uh almost 1650 miles of the at before i went and i did the first thousand eleven hundred miles of the cdt right from um from crazy cook to um creed in colorado um so i basically and then i started the pct nobo and i i noboed the entire thing um so the crazy thing for me and the thing that was super stressful was like i've been hiking for like six months and i haven't finished one of these damn trails yet (laughs) (laughs) i was like oh i've started three like i i'm starting getting anxious so by the time we finally hit the border for canada we had a really good celebration like that was a huge huge feeling and that was like i mean i think long time coming obviously but it was it was the first moment of closure that I was like, man, I might actually be able to get this done. Like actually finishing one of them, um, start to finish. And then knowing that I only had 500 miles and I was in really good shape by the time that I finished the PCT for the last Mm -hmm. 500 miles of the AT, which are a real ass kicker. Um, so I was like, "I, I think I'm in good shape. I mean, by the time I think I finished on August the 11th, uh, I was at the border. Um, and then, yeah, it was it was a great, uh, unreal feeling. It's it's so interesting that you can complete so many miles, but there's not that sense of closure, like that you've actually taken until. <laughs> it was it was yeah, it was a unique feeling because I was I was super stressed out before I finished the PCT. Um, not stressed, but like just just worried more than anything that I wasn't going to have enough time. Yeah, well, and you finished. Wh- what was your finish date? I think it was August August the 11th of PCT. Oh, the, I finished I October 26th. August. Okay. Which is 
late in a Rocky Mountain season. Yeah, I mean, a Rocky Mountain season that had a snowfall on September the 27th. Yeah. So generally speaking, I think like, I mean, the the Colorado usually gets an early snowfall and then they have like uh, a little bit of summer in early October before winter really sets in. I think for most of the people that I talk to, that's can generally happen. Uh, in this case, though, it just it just stayed and dumped for probably four straight days. Right when I was on the border of Wyoming and Colorado in encampment, it was like Armageddon snowstorm. What did you do to piss off the snow gods? I know. I I have had a horrible relationship with snow ever since then. It, just when I thought I was out, um, yeah, it was it was nuts. I uh, like. I was cursed. I have so many videos on my phone of me just being like, I can't believe it. It's back. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And then you, you turn and you look in this and you've got the snow drifts and you've got the, Oh my God. <laughs> don't, re don't remind me. It's like, I'm still, I have like PTSD about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How are you doing the logistics while you were out there? I mean, obviously things were changing because of snow and, and things like that, but um, you were also then having to carry a lot of, of uh, provisions and things like that. Yeah. So um, all I had, I did for the ATI AWOLS guide for the CDT, I had gut hook and I had, um, um, what's her name? Um her name is escaping me. She doesn't um, yogi's guide to the CDT. Um, so I had printed off and PDF all of the pages. Basically she didn't have a digital copy at the time. So I had scanned to email basically every page of the book. As far as logistics wise, she has a whole second section. That's like planning your trip and through hiking, you know, all these, all this helpful information, but not pertaining to me. It was basically just the logistics of it. Um, so I had, uh, and then the PCT, I use gut hook. It's pretty easy to follow. Um, but um, logistically wise, like uh, for, for everyone, um, it was all about just managing the amount of time. So like in most, in most cases, like let's just say, for instance, on the CDT, I'll give you a perfect example. Like um, the first town stop 68 miles in is Silver City, but Doc Campbell's is at mile 100, but you, they don't have enough to resupply at the general store. So you have to send a post office, but Doc Campbell's post office is only open from Tuesday <laughs> to Thursday at two to 4 PM. Right. Right. So I have to like, think about that kind of stuff. So for instance, like I, I, when I was in Silver City, I had to like review everything for the next two to three town stops to find out whether A, I would have to send a box forward if it was gonna be closer to trail, or um, I was just gonna to have to carry more food. So like, I think when I left Silver City to do the Gila River, I carried all the way to, uh, well, I can't remember the town after that, uh, not Cuba. Anyway, I had like a 250 mile carry from Silver City where any other person in the world would be like, I'm gonna stop at Doc Campbell's it's two days outside of Silver City. I'll resupply till there and then I'll resupply after. Um, so I was having to do that. PCT is super, super easy to resupply too. It's very defined trail stops. Like, I mean, I resupplied. Yeah, anyway, easy to plan, easy. They're very reliable. Uh, um, 
like resources for you to be able to find out where to go on the PCT. And then the AT, the problem was, is that by the time when I started, none of the businesses were open. A lot of the hiker oriented businesses, obviously the gas stations and supermarkets are in town, but a lot of like the hostels weren't open yet or accepting people or had their, you know, rations stocked. So um, that was a bit of a struggle as well. Like I ran out of food. I, I, I have no idea, but I couldn't do it on two hands at least. Oh, the number of times. Oh yeah. At least 20 times I ran out of food. On the AT specifically or across the board? Across the board. AT too though. I mean, I, I just didn't pack very much food on the AT if we're being specific. My pack was already happy. Like it was already heavy enough. Um, and generally speaking, like it's not that far between roads where you can get a hitch into town. Uh, but I was, I was carrying little to no food on the AT, like at maximum three days. Okay. But yeah. Doesn't that get in the way of your logistics because that's time off trail for you? Yeah. AT though, there's a lot of towns that are, are, are right by the highway, like short hitches into town. Whereas the PCT generally like it's, way further into town and then the cdt is even way further into town so the cdt required a lot more planning than the at or the pct which i found was actually the easiest for resupply um but this yeah cdt was definitely like post offices in the middle of nowhere 30 miles off trail so like if you miss a hitch and they're not open there's nowhere to resupply or a gas station and your sol like hitch another 50 miles into a big town did how was your luck in that respect? I mean, I, I think I got pretty lucky. Like I never had to go like too far other than I think my planning for the CDT was actually pretty bang on. Like I, I didn't run out of food that often on the CDT because you have to logistically plan it. There's longer stretches, like five to seven days, seven to 10 day stretches where like you can ration your food for the first two to three days and then make sure that you have enough and then eat your regular, I think your regular calories um, just to make sure that you're going to get there. Uh, whereas on the AT, it was like, I'm packing out six cheeseburgers and I'll see you in town in 18 hours. That was Yeah. I mean, well, it's so nice to not have trail food, especially if you know that you're going to be in town in two days. Like, right. the first, like cheeseburgers will will sit for 24 hours before they go rotten for sure. Mm -hmm. So having the ability to have like warm food or like food that wasn't tortillas and peanut butter and cheese and salami. That was, that was a big one. Was that your standard go-to? Yeah. I mean, mission tortillas, I think through hikers are keeping them in business. They are <laughs> the number one staple in any through hikers bag is, is tortillas. And by the end of a long stretch, those are getting traded for anything. People want them. Are you a Snickers guy? Big time. <laughs> so Snickers Big cool. time. <laughs> Snickers, Snickers. I mean, I think, again, any through hiker is going to trade you a Snickers for whatever you got. Uh, I was a big uh, goldfish guy, too, for texture. Um, so, like, you make a tortilla, obviously, and you have, like, cheese and salami. But then for a little crunch, uh, goldfish were pretty good. Obviously, kettle chips were, were big in the repertoire, too. Now, would you literally... Sprinkle those onto the tortilla with everything. Oh else. yeah. <laughs> no, no, for sure. Those are, those are like the best topping as part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't want to waste the energy of having to eat a second thing. No, 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 no. And then I got, I actually got big into the spam too. 
Oh, really? Yes. I had never liked Spam at all, but something about that like saltiness of it with mm-hmm. cheese on a tortilla, you, you get used to it. And I'm a, I'm a fan now. I'm not going to the corner store to grab Spam now to like cook for me and my girlfriend for dinner, but for taking on trail, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that you know your go-to. Yeah, I mean, I was a garbage. I was a garbage disposal. Realistically, there was I was packing out horrible food. Yeah, like everything that was bad for you was in my bag. What was the wildest thing that you were eating? Or on the flip side of that, what was the moment when you're kind of outside of yourself looking at what you're eating going, I cannot believe that I am actually eating this. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I like shrimp ramen. So what I would do is like my version of hillbilly pad thai is like two shrimp ramen packets. And then you put like a huge thing of peanut butter to give it like con- con- consistency. And most people, like I, I started cold soaking pretty early on, I think like um, maybe, I don't know, two months into my through hike. Um, I got used to the texture of having like cold noodles or cold rice or, you know, pesticides or whatever. Um, so that was like, when people saw that they would like be pretty shocked. Like I would get two huge globs of peanut butter and shrimp ramen. And I'd be like, this is pad thai. And they'd be like, you're insane. (laughs) (laughs) That is not pad thai. You are crazy. And that was a cold soap ramen. Yeah. Oh, Oh. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, <laughs> but you get used to it. Like I said, like uh, you do anything long enough, and eventually you'll start learning the, uh, the, uh, the good things in life. <laughs> Appreciate the good stuff. I was, and ramen was way. I, I was almost every day with it. As far as calories to weight, it is, it is number one. And I actually, funnily enough, I was listening to the podcast you did with Constantine the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually when I started the PCT on day two or day three, I think um, I ended up hiking into Lordsburg with him. And then we left uh, the next morning, me, him and um, baskets uh, left uh, Lordsburg the next day. And I saw it funnily enough, I started my CDT through hike with him. And then I, when I was in glacier on the way back down, he was, I saw him the day before he finished his through hike where I was just trying to finish the calendar year triple crown size. Saw him again and I was like, Constantine? It's like, holy shit, where have you been? <laughs> like, well, long year, man. Good to see you. <laughs> but that was kind of nice to have a friendly face. Oh my God. It was, it was, it was incredible. I was like 15 miles from the border, probably like on the first day of starting it. And I ran into, uh, there was another dirtbag wanderer and Constantine as they were just about to finish their through hike and dirtbag gave me his gloves and some other stuff. And it was, it was great. Did you guys? I was so happy for, I was so happy to see them. I was like, Oh my God, this is so crazy. We've been all over the country and now I see you guys in your last day of the through hike. (laughs) I mean, it's everything. I know. Crazy. (laughs) You, I mean, we've already talked about the snow and the rain, but yeah, the the rivers also got you a couple of times. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the Sierra, big time. Yeah. In the Sierra, big time. I think, I mean, ignorance is bliss when it comes to that. I mean, I did stay at, at Scout and Frodo's the night before and Barney gives a speech um, about the two girls who had passed away the year before I did the through hike. And it was in my mind. Uh, but when 
you know, realistically me meeting people in Kennedy Meadows saying, Hey, do you guys want to go through the Sierra with me? I'm going to do thirties and I'm going to go through in seven days and that's it. Like I'm going to do a 210 mile food carry from Kennedy Meadows to Mammoth. And if you guys aren't cool with that, then like we can't really go through together. So I didn't, I didn't really have a choice. Like um, at that time, like I wasn't going to take uh, the cutoff to Bishop. Uh, I wasn't going to leave on at Kearsarge Pass and go out, spend a night in Bishop and then come back in. Cause it's a, it would kill a day. Basically it's half a day out and then it's half a day in. So I just carried the whole way. Um, but uh, yeah, the, I mean, going through fording the middle fork of the Kings river and bear Creek and evolution Creek, like those are no joke. Um, those are middle fork of the, yeah. Middle fork of the Kings, um, during like peak runoff is a really scary thing to do. Um, and it's, I would not like, I mean, I obviously I did it alone and I'm alive now, but I would not suggest that to, to anyone. Um, at least at evolution, they have a runaround. There is a PCT that puts you in the meadow as opposed to actually fording the river. Um, it's like ankle, uh, it's like, sorry, chest high, but, uh, the, the ferocity of the rapids is like substantially less than you would have to do if you forded where the actual trail goes around. Um, but yeah, having lost, like taking a full dump, um, in the middle fork of the Kings, um, and like losing my stove, losing a trekking pole, losing a shirt, like it is no joke. How did you, was, was the loss of your stove where you also had to get right with cold soaking? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have a choice at that point. Um, as far as eating the rest of my food that was in my pack for that for that amount of time to get through the Sierra. Um, and like I said, thank God that I was okay with doing it already. Otherwise, it would have been a real shock. Uh, but um, I, I had a stove intermittently throughout the year. Um, I used like a little BRS three thousand T. It's just like this tiny little thing that plugs onto a isobutane can. But, um, at the time I had a bigger stove because, um, it was just like a, a pocket rocket, but it was like one of those screw on ones that has, um, so I lost the whole, the whole thing. Um, it just like, I, I fell down and my pack got stuck on a rock. And then as I like climbed out of the water, it like ripped off and I didn't know. And I took my pack off obviously to take my wet clothes when I got out of the river. And I was like, oh shit, like lost my trekking pole, lost a sweater that was in my backpack and lost my stove. Okay. Well, here we go. <laughs> We're going in. Exactly. Exactly. It was like one of those, like I like, I was like a check for my cell phone. I put it in, I usually put it in like a Ziploc bag in my chest pocket when I would ford a river. Um, and I was like, thank God, like I didn't lose my phone. Cause I also didn't have any paper maps at the time. And in the Sierra, when the trail isn't fully showing, like during runoff, like it's still a huge section of it is snow covered. So, I mean, it's my first time going through the like going through the Sierra. So I didn't know any of like, you know, where to look, whereas like the top of the pass, like it's a lot of it's hidden without uh well it's still covered in snow. So I, if yeah, thank God my phone was not ripped off me. Did you get paper maps later when you could? Or at that point you were through the Sierras and it didn't matter anymore? No, I carried paper maps on the CDT because the lay alternates are unbelievable um i mean there there's so many different routes that you can take on the cdt uh but i definitely took them on the pct is it's it's the highway it is 
it's similar. I mean, I, I think it's even easier to follow yeah. than the AT because the AT you can get lost in a sea of, you know, there's little small spur trails and, you know, little tiny runoffs where people have gone around to pitch tents and so on and so forth. But like the PCT is a pretty dedicated footpath. So if you, if you get lost on it, um, it's usually like you probably only have to walk back one mile or something before you find a junction that you missed. Should have gone left instead of right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, PC, the PCT is, is the dream. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard it referred to as the, the Brown or the, the Brown highway. I think Brown highway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I still wonder, I mean, I still marvel at like the, the way that it's created the last probably 1500 miles of that trail are so awesome. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't like Northern California. I personally thought it was amazing. Um, and I think a lot of people complain about Oregon too, because it's, you know, you've seen spectacular scenery and now you're in this kind of lower, lower lying area with lakes and streams and a lot of bugs, but uh, I loved it. How were the mosquitoes for you? Uh, I, for everyone, I think they're, they're horrible. I mean, yeah. there's, there's no way around it. There's just so much stagnant water in that section of Oregon, especially Southern Oregon. Once you get past like big Lake youth camp, they're not too bad. And then like Mount Jefferson wilderness hood, and then you're into cascade locks, but Southern Oregon is, it, it was a bad burn year in 2017 as well. So there was a lot of barren sections that we had gone through that were really, really exposed. Um, and there's some longer water carries too in Southern Oregon, like 30 plus mile water carries. So when you're going through an area that's no shade whatsoever, you have no choice but to keep moving. Like I wasn't, I think I only had like a one liter platypus plus my bottles. But some people, some people carry like six, seven liters of water for a 30 mile stretch. Did you ever run out of water out there? Oh, all, <laughs> all, of, the, all okay. of the time. Okay. <laughs> all of the time. Um, yeah, I, I would camel pretty, pretty good when I got to a water source, just so I wouldn't have to carry the extra water. Um, and gut hook, I mean, the PCT, as far as people updating it, is incredible um, as far as the availability of water sources. Um, so, but yeah, no, on the CDT, I ran out of water all the time. AT is, I mean, I hiked it in the snow, it's spring fed, um, no shortage of water anywhere, but PCT, I ran out of water a lot. And then you were also saying the CDT? CDT too. Yeah. You're in cow country. So getting a reliable source is, is tough, especially in Southern New Mexico and Northern, like in middle Montana, Idaho, treading that border. There's a lot of burn areas and a lot of dried up Creek beds that, you know, one, you know, a week or two later, they'll run dry. And because I was going through at the end of the season too, like, uh, especially going Sobo in Montana, Idaho, and like Northern Wyoming, there was significant water shortages. Thank God in some of the places like Great Great Divide Basin, there was still caches left from the summer. Um, but yeah, I, I ran out of water a lot. And obviously trying to find water that isn't like as stagnant as you could ever imagine is difficult. Southern New Mexico is is a trip. Holy shit. (laughs) I think a lot of people have the breaking bad moment where they're like, they'll see like a burnt up RV in the middle of the desert and be like, go, go, you're supposed to go pull water from that cow trough. And you look over there and it's just like maggots and sea Uh and algae. And you're like, okay, here we go. This is hiking baby. So what did you say to yourself or was it just desperation? (laughs) Let you know choice. 
again, like I think a lot of times I would be like this, there's no way this can be the best source. Let me go do another six miles until the next source and see if I can pull mm-hmm. because like a lot of them, I would just refuse. I'd be like, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, just, just can't do it. Um, but again, like some, some stretches, you don't have a choice. There's a, from the top of Mangus mountain into pie town is a 38 mile road walk, or there's like eight miles of trail before you hit a 30 mile road walk. There isn't a water source the entire time. So like you're 30 miles on the road in Southern New Mexico when it gets like 110 pretty easily. What was the first time from a water source that you kind of, you came up to it, you looked at it and you said, okay, this is my line. I, I cannot do that. I think I, I don't know whether it's on my Instagram, but I do have a video of, um, it was probably day two or day three. Um, so like in the beginning of the CDT, it's kind of well-marked, but it's a big open expansive area. And a lot of the trail markers are like, it's scrub bush, but it's above your head almost. So you can't really like see too far ahead of you, although you're in like an expansive area. So it's kind of not a, like a make your own adventure, but like, as long as you can get to like a certain point out on the horizon, you're, you know, and water sources are all over. There's solar windmills everywhere. You get to basically choose which one you want to like go off trail to get. Um, and I remember I walked up, there was like a, uh, a tire, uh, it was like a cow, cow tire. Uh, and then there was like a dead cow, maybe 30 feet from the water source um and just cow patties everywhere just literal like uh, a an entire field of cow poo i was like well i have probably i think it was maybe 20 miles to the next water source it's like i don't have a choice i have to pull water from here um so thank god i had iodine tablets for southern new mexico so i just treated the water obviously after filtering it but that was one of the ones where i was like get one of those emergency packets out, dump it in the water and try and hammer it as fast as you can. <laughs> <laughs> I travel with that a lot, actually, like a, like a sports powder, mm-hmm. um, just like an electrolyte powder, because a lot of the water sources, you're just like, no matter how much you filter it, it's still going to smell like a cow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> or like the, the smell of the smell of a farm. Yeah. You know what I mean? So disguise the taste as much as possible exactly i mean cdt is is unrelenting like that it's just like if you want to hike this trail it's here but we're not going to do anything to facilitate making it easier for you pct is like oh there's a beautiful water cache here someone left you fruit (laughs) (laughs) there's cakes and whatever trail magic galore cdt is like yeah there's a trail it exists but you gotta want it you really do i mean i think it's uh it's cruel in that regard but also has just like you go through the most beautiful sections of that I, that I've ever seen i mean the the way that i didn't understand why the trail was rooted the way that 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 it is especially when you get to the idaho border you go up wyoming and then it cuts so far left and treads the idaho border before coming back into the middle of montana before going to the glacier i was like that seems like a pretty big end around and, I, and then obviously after hiking through it i was like oh i get it now it is really beautiful is it just like meadows mountains? it's like mountains like when you go so like if you have like big sky over here that whole section where the idaho border is it's like kind of these like 
long, nothing too steep, but it's like long, expansive views with, like, as far as the eye can see with, you know, mountains in the background and like that kind of, it really makes you feel like it's like the American West kind of. And I'd never spent that much time in the West. I'm from Toronto, obviously. And like most of the hiking I'd done was on the East Coast where it's, I'd never, you know, seen, like been able to look 50 miles in front of me and be like, holy shit, I'm going to walk over there and I'll be there in two days. Like, it's pretty cool. I, I do remember I drove through uh, Montana and Wyoming uh, mm-hmm. a number of years ago now, but I remember in the drive, just looking out across the prairies and whatever and, and feeling like this is what the old West was like. This is what it felt like, looked like, so forth. Yeah, I just started watching that television show, Yellowstone, and I'm like, oh, when am I going to go hiking again? It's so nice <laughs> out there. <laughs> you got to get back. You'll get back to it. I know, eventually. <laughs> when you finished the CDT, Um, actually, maybe this isn't when you finished it. Sorry. This was day 219. So CDT day 35. Mm-hmm. Basically, what you wrote was phone dead, motivation lacking, out of food, feet in a very bad place. Took me nine hours to walk 18 miles. It felt like I was in the twilight zone. Today sucked plain and simple. Yeah. Do you remember that day? a lot of days like that <laughs> that was a common theme uh, yeah i mean some days like anything you're gonna have like any part of life whether you're a banker or you are a septic tank work like cleaner like there's some days where it doesn't feel like work and then there's gonna be some days where it does mm-hmm. um and even if you're doing the most awesome thing in your mind that you can there's some days where you're just not gonna have it um I don't really know what else to say about that. It's it's put your head down, put headphones in, and whether it's a you know a section of road or you know a, a less than beautiful section of trail or whatever, you get FOMO about talking to your friends, and you feel like you're missing out on what's going on back home, or there's you know someone passes away or whatever. Um, there's some you know you're always going to have days where you just some days you're the hammer, some days you're the nail. Mm-hmm. Did you, or have you, I guess, gone back and sort of re-looked at those posts that you did um, and kind of maybe not totally relived it, but kind of remembered the experience? I do. I mean, I know not to like sound crazy, but I do it all the time. <laughs> um, I... I don't know how to say this. Uh, Yes, uh, a lot. Um, I I think back to, I think when I'm struggling in my life now, I kind of reminisce about the shittier times that I had out there um, and just try to put it in perspective so that I can at least try and put a more positive spin on what's happening to me now. Um, But yeah, I, I try and use it as fuel to the fire. And, you know, some days, like I'm sure you know, you or anyone else has it. Some days you just got to put your head down and grind um, and, you know, keep keep track of the goals, obviously, that you have um, and just not let it kind of block you, but you just got to get through it. As we talked about at the beginning, 
you know, you were kind of at a, at a stuck place in your life and then you went out there and did this. What did you learn about yourself or what, what were you surprised to learn about yourself as you were doing this? Well, um, I mean, I think that one, obviously, you know, again, it's going to sound like a Hallmark card, but you know, what you don't think is believable, you know, can be made believable if you continue to work at it like anything the good things in life i think that are worth having are supposed to be hard to to get i don't think that you ever really appreciate the things that you didn't have to work your ass off to get um as much as you would have if you had put in the you know the type of sweat and dedication that it takes to get them and i think that's with a lot of aspects of life, whether it's like your relationship that, you know, to your partner or, you know, your job or your, you know, bond with friends, like everything in my, in my mind or that I learned out there is supposed to take work. And if it feels too easy, then it's probably not worth having. Um, obviously there's, you know, going to be instances where sometimes you get a freebie and you're just like, Ooh, thank God for that. <laughs> but I think it. that exactly but I think that um the year out there taught me that you know it, it nothing like if you set realistic goals and you just incrementally work towards bigger and bigger goals eventually you'll get to the end point but I think the for me as a person the way that I've taken it into my own life now like I I don't set like the the 10,000 mile stair goal. I set like the one mile stair goal and then I get to like the five mile stair goal and then the 10 mile and et cetera, et cetera. And I find that's such an easier way for me to compartmentalize like my goals and aspirations and like actually keep me motivated because then, you know, you reward yourself. Like if you do, you wake up in the morning and you're like, all right, I'm getting to town today. Like it's 34.2 miles and I'm going to have to wake up at four 30 in the morning, but like you get a hot bath at the end of it and you get a pint of Ben and Jerry's. Like I can't tell you the amount of times when I was out on trail that I would do that. Like two, three days out of like, well, what do I have to average to get to town on night three? Right. No, let's get it done. It, it might sound, it might sound corny, but I think like there's a reason why that through hiking, I think has become such a phenomenon um, and has become such a, uh, a community around it because I think so many people have experiences like that that the day-to-day -day life that they have like don't present to them in a way like having a singular focus and a goal to work towards is actually a really like empowering feeling yeah um because like you you don't really like have the opportunity to get lost like I mean it's still a short window to hike one of these trails like I think you know, if you, you know, I think the, what's the success ratio on them? It's roughly one in every force who starts it goes from start to finish. Right. Yeah. So I think the the people, the people who are, you know, realize that early on are the ones that generally are the ones that have success. And like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's worked for me. I think that was, you know, the biggest part of it is being able to extrapolate some of the stuff I learned out there and like, hopefully implemented in my life moving forward have you have you created some big 
ambitious goals for yourself, even if you are looking still at one mile, five mile, 10 mile uh, goals within that, but like something that's bigger and broader than, than just, we're going to get through another day. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think for, from my perspective, like this year, I mean, I trained to try and run a sub three hour marathon. So I started uh, and I was like, well, if you can run a five minute mile, then you can probably run a sub 35 minute 5k. If you can run a sub 35 minute 5k, then you can probably run a 120 half marathon. If you can run a 120 half marathon, you can probably run a 255 full marathon. So like, you know, you start training and you start, you know, putting together a spreadsheet of how you're going to do that. I mean, I never had that aspect in my life before, to be completely honest with you. That was like a skill that I took off planning a through hike. Um, but now I like, I, that's the only way that I stay dedicated to goals that I have in my, in my actual thing. I get like, there's too much going on in the world these days that I get like lost in it. And I like, if I don't have it written down and something for me to like check off at the end of the day, I like, I'll be lost to my own devices. <laughs> It's sort of like what we were talking about before, where you just start to drift or coast or you don't realize how fast time is passing until you're sitting in December in uh, in 2020. And you're like, what did I do with the year? <laughs> it's You're so right. Like, I think so many people probably struggle with that, too. Oh, 100%. I know I struggle with it all the time. Mm hmm. Like I tell my dad, I'm like, I'm going to write you a plan. He's like always struggling with, I'm like, you should work out more. He's like, I should work out more. I'm like, well, how are you going to do that? I'm like, well, how do you plan on doing that? He's like, well, you know, I'll exercise three times a week. I'm like, how many times did you exercise last week? It's like zero. I'm like, well, uh, let's like try for two. Why don't you work out on like Tuesday and Thursday? Anyway. Did you even, did you even drill down with him in terms of, and you're going to work out at eight no, o'clock in no, the morning no, and no, all no. of that? No, ultimately no. I work for a family business, so I have to try and keep my uh, keep my relationship with my dad <laughs> as smooth as possible. <laughs> Was there ever a time out there that you thought about quitting, or that you were like, "I don't see a path forward right now"? Many. I mean, uh, lots of times when so the first time I left the Appalachian Trail, when I made the decision that there's no feasible way that I can continue going and I'll just lose too much time, I was like, you're a failure. Like, you just you just abandoned. Then I was like, well, you got to pivot. You got to keep going. Like, you know, by the time that I got into town, I had already had a plane ticket booked to Tucson. Um, but there's there's so so many days when i would get in my tent at night and i would like look at my phone or check the internet or whatever the hell it was and just write in my journal like this is no fun like why are you why are you doing this like what but then i mean that's usually fleeting in my mind like then you have a, a the next day where it feels like this is the best day ever the sun comes out you know you get a good good song on on the climb and you're like okay this is this is what it's all about this is why why i'm out here i'm actually really enjoying this you know the when you spend that much time alone it's so easy to like get stuck in your own mind yeah. um and like be negative 
uh, to a point until something like snaps you out of it. Like I was saying, like whether it's like a beautiful sunny day or like you you get a good shuffle on your iPod, whatever. Um, but it's so easy to be so hard on yourself out there when you're alone. What was the why that you reached for in your tent at night when when you were thinking about quint- quitting? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I think it's tough to, to come to like one, one thing. I mean, I think that when, when I started off, I, it was, I, I wanted to make sure that I gave every single thing that I had to try my best. And even if I failed and I, I, I still would want to know that I gave everything that I had to try and make sure that it would happen. Um, and I wasn't like afraid of failure, but I also was to a degree, if that makes any sense. It's yeah. like, if I, if I quit at this, then there's a chance that I quit at everything else in the rest of my life. Like I've done it up until this point, the self-doubt is here. Now's the part where they're saying, Hey, like, this is really hard. You know, like, this is not fun, but like, are you going to quit? It'd be a lot easier to quit, you know? And like I said, that self-talk just becomes like an echo chamber in your head. Like, are you going to quit? Like, you know, it'd be really easy to just like hitch into town right now and book a plane home. You could do that. So it was more like challenging myself to not do it. You know what I mean? It's like the piece of cake that's in the fridge when you open the fridge four times and you're like, (laughs) you're still here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'll, you reach for it. Oh, no. no, okay, all right. I'm leaving now. Uh, so I yeah, I think pushing away it, from that line. I think so. Yeah, it was more not like why it was like agreed. Like it was more just like a pushing from what I had done in the past to try and like hopefully change like the wiring in my brain to not think that it was okay to just like say that it was at my limit and that I had given it everything that I had, but actually maybe I had more in the tank, which again, I think a lot of people, I mean, like, I think a lot of people probably feel like that. Yeah. Well, I think that that's one of the things that through hiking is great for because, because it pushes you and you have to go to the tank and you have, and you find out that you do have a lot more there than you thought or you gave yourself credit for and when you can keep doing it over and over again you build up a reservoir i think of belief that there will be something there that will push you into the next moment or that yeah, it becomes kind of like becomes kind of like your armor in a way you're like i've yeah. dealt with this before i you know this is no different than that situation i let's just keep rolling you know it'll get better mm-hmm I guess that's the other side of it too, is like what you just said is that going through enough of those cycles, you know that it will get better. Exactly. It becomes almost predictable to a degree. Like, yeah, you're at the bottom now. Just keep riding it out. Look at the weather forecast. It'll get better. Like, you know. Yeah. It's the roller coaster. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I think that the reason probably the, the other reason why a lot more people are maybe successful is because they have friends that they meet on trail that, you know, we'll talk them out of it when they're having a shitty day or, you know, do something funny to change their attitude or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if it's their birthday, they'll buy them a cake in town, like whatever it may be. Um, 
I think that that's probably looking back, I think that, that that's probably, you know, one of the things that I miss the most, especially because the way that Instagram now is, or with social media, you see all these like kind of long life lasting bonds that a lot of these people who have had gone trails before, you know, trail families or whatever you want to call them, you know, they, you, know, you create a lot of bonds with people out there. And I think that it's one of the things that, you know, I, I missed out on probably. Um, but I still, I'm still young. I mean, 31 years old, I can go back and hike any of them again and try and make as many friends as I can. I probably hike it in 150 days, take 40 zeros and call it a day. <laughs> the, the new goal will be last one to Katahdin or, or exactly whatever wins. Yeah, that's a that that's uh that was the big one on the AT. That was the big uh last one the Katahdin wins. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any immediate plans in terms of one of those trails or even a shorter trail? Uh, still a, still considered to be a through hike, but a a shorter through hike. I had a lot of plans for this year actually, but with the border closures, I wasn't able to get over the border. Obviously everything that I was going to do was going to drive. And then I would have had to do a two week quarantine on the way home. And basically the, you know, all the major trail organizations were saying to people like, do not come, do not travel across state, just try and keep the, you know, the burden down on local business. And, and by the time that that all ended by maybe mid July, uh, early August, um, that's kind of like the height of hiking season. You can't really plan too much after that. Um, but I was going to try and do great divide trail this year. Um, but it, uh, just didn't work out. Um, I didn't get my shit together in time and I had some stuff at work that unfortunately popped up, uh, once kind of the COVID restrictions, uh, let down that I had to, to deal with. Um, so, uh, I, I got a lot of goals actually for, for 2021 hopefully so we'll see have you talked to constantine lately uh i haven't no i should actually reach out to him i talk to baskets all the time from the cdt and uh this other guy that i know um but uh i know that i mean he's he's as active as they come he's taking a trail every year he's accumulating trails i think this year he probably knocked off like four or five of them mostly yeah. in canada actually yeah he did with pnt and then he did gdt he did the sea to summit he did the vancouver island trail yeah um and then i think there was one other or one other that he was going to get later in the season after i spoke with him but yeah mm-hmm. he's he's knocking him off yeah he's got i mean he's done obviously triple crowner and he's got yeah. uh pnt gdt those are both on my bucket list i would love i would love to um get some more free time. Yeah. What was this moment like for you? <laughs> Mount Whitney. Mount Whitney. Uh, it was really fun. I think a lot of people, I can't, I, I can't put some people at Crabtree Meadow. Um, it's obviously a 60 mile detour from the regular PCT up and down. Um, so I was like contemplating not doing it. And then I, was like well why the hell wouldn't you do it like you're literally it's right there like 16 miles on top of 7750 miles like figure it out it's like the highest peak in the lower 48 you're gonna go climb it (laughs) so and i didn't like i didn't pack enough food for the the trip um like for 210 miles i probably pretty much only packed like 175 miles worth of food um but 
I just like I just got it. I dumped my tent at Crabtree Meadow, slept for like three hours, and got up at two thirty in the morning, and then did the hike up. Came back. I just brought like I think I just brought. I just had like a little waist belt that had some snacks and my cell phone and my trekking poles, and I left everything in my tent, and then just came back. So it I actually it wasn't too bad. I mean, I think that it was definitely worth it for me. It was like cool, really cool to climb Mount Whitney. I mean, and the views uh, for anyone who's been up there are like insane. Um, like literally Lone Pine, which is like 12,000 feet below. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I loved it. It was, it was awesome. Really cool introduction to the Sierra. Doing Whitney and going over Forester Pass in one day was kind of a big achievement. That's when I was like, okay, you're, you're in pretty good shape now. You can do Whitney and then do the 22 miles to Forester Pass and go up and over in one day. So that was, that was pretty cool. You could mark it off the list of, okay, I'm ready for the, what's coming next. Yeah. I mean, I think once I got through the Sierra alone, I was like, okay, you're going to cruise the rest of this trail. Um, but I mean, again, I was, I was in a bit of a bad space when I got out of the Sierra. Like once you get to Sonora Pass, Kennedy Meadows North, that's when I, oh, South Lake Tahoe, actually, like um, Echo Lake. I That's where I got off trail, hitched into uh, Sacramento, and then got a bus to San Francisco and flew home for this wedding. Um, so I knew that I could push really, really hard through the Sierra, even if it messed up my feet and my body because I was going to have a week of rest. So it was kind of like the, the safety net a little bit. Um, and then I knew that once I had a, a week of rest and I went back to the trail, that I was going to fly because that section of trail, like Northern California is pretty well graded. There's not like too many technical, like, you know, huge days in there. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like, okay, you're ready. You, you're a through hiker. Like you, you're going to be okay. <laughs> when you said you were in a really bad place, meaning just physically you were beaten down. Oh, I was just, I was crushed. Like my, my legs were horrible. My feet were literally in, terrible shape i went to this wedding uh and i was in the wedding party and they were like okay time to like get get up for your shoot you know get time for the photo shoot and i had to like wedge my feet into dress shoes like ho hobbling around i was like oh my god and you'll see we actually have pictures from the reception and i'm in like three sizes two big vans while everyone else is still in their dress shoes <laughs> like i gotta get out of these things uh, have you had any residual issues from your feet or your Achilles or anything like that? Yeah, I still have Achilles tendonitis in my left leg. I have to do, every time I run, I basically have to do strength exercises like calf raises or whatever, banded work or anything like that. It's still a problem. But it's getting better? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I ran... <laughs> I, I ran like almost 3000 kilometers this year. So it's not too bad. I mean, it's just about taking care of the body for me now. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, I would say it's getting better. Sure. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Why not? <laughs> it's not getting worse. That's, that's what I'll there say. There you go. Yeah. Keep it in perspective. Exactly. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should? I don't know. Um, I don't I don't think so. I think we covered the majority of it. I don't I don't think I have any other crazy stories. I mean a lot nothing nothing too bad. I mean I think that the 
I do have one kind of gnarly story though. Oh, um, bring it. About, about um, so when I was going through the Bridger Teton National Forest, just south of Yellowstone, uh, before you get into Rollins, Wyoming, which is the resupply before you have to go through the winds. Um, I remember that uh, I remember seeing helicopters um, a lot. And I remember I got into Rollins and um, I was speaking to a woman uh, at, there's like a local, like a tax shop there. They have like food and gear and all this other stuff. And she was like, were you just, are you through hiking now? And I was like, yeah, like, she's like really late in the season. Like, do you have bear spray? Do you have, you know, do you have a rifle or do you have a pistol or anything? I was like, I'm from Canada. I wouldn't know what to do with the gun if it was on my front. Like, I don't know what to do. She's like, well, you know, there was just a, a bear just mauled a, um, a, a bow hunter and his client uh, from Florida, uh, one of them was mauled to death and the other one was uh, died of his wounds later in hospital, like a week later. And they went and they had to shoot the bear. Um, and this is maybe a day before I went through the exact section, maybe a mile off of the CDT. Um, and this is like at the height of uh, like elk season, like r right when the rut starts is like when I was going through probably the most densely populated area for elk in the country. So it is prime bear hunting season. Um, so that was going through bear uh country alone is a scary thing um like really scary was it a yeah, yeah a, gris a grizzly bear yeah um it's yeah i'm not worried about uh black bears they're they call it trash pandas <laughs> really like uh they scare they're way more scared of you are than you should be of them obviously yeah. you know use best practices and there's obviously freak occurrences but um grizzly bears are like they know that they're the king of the jungle um so obviously best to avoid at all costs but um that was any many um in montana southern montana idaho all through wyoming like maybe once every three days oh wow yeah like i saw five in glacier alone obviously it's a national park and they're well adjusted to human beings but um in between um Yellowstone and the Montana Idaho border. I probably saw three or four grizzly bears in the wild. Um, and thank God that most of them were either on a ridge line ahead of me or on the other side of water. Um, so I didn't really sneak up on any. Um, but yeah, <laughs> not to be trifled with. That was, that was, that was a pretty scary story. Did it give you pause when you headed back out again? Or you just had to well, do it? No, I was just like, I, I mean, I had bear spray. Um, but again, a, a grizzly bear, a bear spray is not going to do much. Obviously, it's a deterrent. But most of the time that you use bear spray, especially out in the wild, like there's no way to predict wind conditions if it's going to blow back directly in your face. Like I was so not uh, like versed on the proper etiquette to use bear spray. A, having had no interactions with grizzly bears in my entire life. B, having no actual proper training about what to do in that scenario. Um, like, oh, I got a can of bear spray. I'll be okay. Like in the back, in the back of my head, knowing full well, like, you know, you're full of shit, right? Yeah. Okay. 
gonna be okay. Exactly. It's like that meme where it's like the the guy that the fire is burning. It's like I'm okay. I'm fine. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Where can people find you to follow your continuing adventures and or ask you questions? Should they decide they want to do a crazy wild thing in their life? Well, I hope that if someone is thinking about doing it, they will reach out to me because I love to at least hear your story and uh, give you any kind of advice that you may need. Uh, but I really only use Instagram just because it's the easiest platform for me and I love it. I don't really do anything else. Um, and it's just my name. It's just Mike Papadatos. You want to spell Papadatos? <laughs> yeah, it's P-A-P-A-D-A-T-O-S. Perfect. Yeah, I haven't added hikes to my name yet, so it's, it's still <laughs> it's still a little obscure. <laughs> and it's all basically one word. Yeah. Final final thing for today. What was one of your favorite moments out there or times out there? Uh, I think that my when I summoned Katahdin was probably the most satisfied feeling of the entire year. And I only say that because going back to the Appalachian Trail after I had left it in the beginning of, of April and then going back in fall when I could actually see trail and it was a completely different experience. Getting to Katahdin after knowing the the hell that I had been through for the first guess it was almost 71 days or 72 days when I left mm-hmm. um, and doing the last 500 miles getting there and, and knowing that I had actually finished the AT which is I mean for most people generally considered the hardest of the three physically um, mm-hmm. I was like this is you should be proud of yourself this is a really cool achievement and um, now you gotta go duke it out with the Rockies to try and get through. But uh, at that moment, I was like, I was over the moon. I remember just, you know, walking down the hunt trail and I was like, oh, this is fine. Don't worry about this. You'll be okay. <laughs> it was just, I remember, I remember that moment pretty, pretty vividly when I was on the top of uh, Baxter Peak. It was, it was pretty awesome. Did you get a chance or a moment to enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, I was I was up there with one other hiker. We, oh, you know, cele- we celebrated and, you know, the congratulations. And it was just the sun was coming up and right at sunrise, little wispy clouds all over the place. It was it was pretty special place. I don't know if you've ever been to to back um, no. to uh, Baxter State Park, but it's it is dense, dense forest. And Katahdin really just rises up out of, out of nowhere. You can see it when you're coming in on the 100-mile wilderness before you obviously get into the park. And you can see it from well ways away, like probably 100 miles away. Um, but it's just like it's flat around, and then it's just right there. So seeing that and getting to the top after literally thinking about finishing the AT for the past seven months was probably the best feeling I had. <laughs> it is amazing. Like reading through your journals on Instagram, like you do a really great job of basically hitting every day, you know, or, or somehow summarizing every day that you were out there. Um, it's, it's fun because it feels a little bit, even though we are now a couple years later, it feels a little bit like, um, 
going along for the ride, honestly. Yeah, I think I, I wanted to, I wanted it to be like that for the people who, you know, my friends and family who were following along, who weren't able obviously to be there on trail with me to at least give them, you know, some semblance of, you know, what it's like to be out there. Um, I wrote a personal journal every day that obviously didn't all make it into Instagram. Yeah. Um, but I think I tried to keep it as, you know, succinct as possible on days where there wasn't too much going on. They're pretty short. And then the days that actually meant something to me, I elaborate a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it, I don't know. It helped me tell my story to people who would have otherwise still not able to contextualize what it actually is. Right. Has anybody through going through it or reading about it from you, has anybody in your circle thought about trying to do one of them even or do some hiking like that lots actually <laughs> um so i i mean i'm now introduced at all family functions or people that know me or friends of friends are like oh aren't you the hiker guy like you know i've always I had a relative who was thinking about doing the at or you know the pcto oh, tell me what that's all about or what's the cdt like so i i've definitely um had to have that conversation with people telling me the aspirations and obviously I try and keep it super positive. You know, how'd you get into hiking? What do you have to do to hike like that? I said, well, well, just start, start slow and, you know, do the exact opposite of what I did and, you know, moderation. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I try and tell, you know, tell my story to anyone who wants to hear about it. I'm more than, more than willing to tell them about my experience and tell them, uh, tell them what, what it's like. Put a little more inspiration out of the world. Yeah. I mean, everyone's got the mountain, whether, whether it's, you know, hiking like this or they want to do better at whatever aspect of their life. It's, you know, any type of inspiring story that you can potentially help, you know, someone, whether it's a hurdle in their life or they want to, whatever. It's, there's things that you can take from someone else's story that doesn't have to be completely applicable to the specific thing. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Problem solving at the end of the day, it's, you know, you dealt with the problem and how do you move forward and continue to push? Yeah. I think the thing that I love most about people's stories about doing the trails is both how much they find out about themselves that surprises them in terms of their resilience and their, their problem solving, like, as you say, because they're, those problems are coming up all the time. Um, how much they are able to suffer and still be excited about the trail. Um, I know it's wild. Because <laughs> <laughs> you hear so many people talking about it. It's like, oh my God, it was a nightmare that you know, so hard. But then, you know, there's still people who want to go back and do it the next day. It's, it's something very addicting about it. It really is some type of weird masochistic thing that burns a good memory into your <laughs> brain kind of i mean there I, I mean ultimately you are in nature and there's some there's something i don't know what it is there's no tangible way to put it 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 does good things for your body to be out in nature yeah. um, and to get away from the the you know the material world it's it's an unexplainable feeling but it you know it when you feel it um and you want more of it Exactly. I mean, it's so, you know, when you have those good days out there, you'll remember that forever. 
I think a lot of people have those memories from when they're kids or, you know, my dad used to take me on canoe trips and they still talk about them to this day. So there's something there. I don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> thank you to Mike for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. You can find links for the video version of this podcast on our website at hiking-through.com or go directly to our brand new Hiking Through channel on YouTube. I hope that this conversation, these conversations, inspire you to get out there and have a few hiker trash moments of your own. I'll see you on the trail. Ooh.